I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi everyone, it's Jack Eskin-Taylor here. Just a quick message for everybody that listens to our podcast. Me and Joe McCarthy are now going into business with a new business partner, Paul McGee. So me, Joe and Paul together have created Vine Street Investments. So Vine Street is going to be a brand that we're going to be pushing a lot more. And we're also going to be changing the Jack and Joe Show brand into the Vine Street Property Podcast. So please keep your eyes peeled and listen out for the new Vine Street intro, which we're just going to do a couple of episodes first and keep the Jack and Joe Show brand going. And eventually we will phase that out and it will all become the Vine Street Property Podcast. So please keep your eyes peeled and we look forward to bringing you lots more content. Welcome to the Jack and Joe Show. We talk about property, business and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin-Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors and our journey to health, wealth and happiness. Welcome to another episode of the Jack and Joe Show with me, Jack Eskin-Taylor. And me, Joe McCarthy. Today we are here with Rosie Casty. How are you, Rosie? I'm good. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Great, thanks, thanks for coming on. I think it was Joe that got in touch with yourself, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Joe dropped me a message on Facebook and just said, you know, would you be interested in coming on the show? And I thought it'd be interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, great, excellent. Because no, I've seen lots of your stuff on uh, social media. Um, regarding developments yeah. and all the rest. Uh, do you want to tell people just a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I'm one of the team at Cassidy Group. So I'm Rosie Cassidy. I'm the daughter of James, who's one of the directors here. Uh, Cassidy Group, we're developers. We develop you know, nationwide. We mainly focus on student accommodation and PRS. Um, so the two directors here are James and Patrick, and that's their brothers. Um, obviously, one's my dad, one's my uncle. And we're just starting now to get more present on social media. Uh, in the past, we were sort of, you know, no context of social media whatsoever. And it's just more recently that we've started YouTube and using Facebook and all that sort of stuff. Lovely. Okay, great. And are you, are you heading up to the social media front and, and the YouTube? And... Yeah. So um, obviously, you know, being a bit younger, I'm a bit more sort of aware of that. I don't think um, James and Patrick even have personal Facebooks. So, you know, it's, it's a massive audience out there and you know we're doing a lot across the country and no one really knew our name so you know I, I thought you know we need to be getting out there more you know getting the name known getting the brand known a bit more so it was only you know this year that we've actually done any real form of social media lovely that's good yeah and so what, what kind of projects do you have on at the moment then around the country 
So at the minute we've got um, we've got over 20 sites at different stages sort of of the um, development process. We've got uh, just over a billion pounds worth of active developments in the, the pipeline in terms of gross development value. Um, we're actively on site at the minute in Nottingham on a site that we sold to Student Roost. That's 436 student beds, that one. And that one was forward funded for them for just over 45 million. So, you know, we're luckily, even with everything going on with COVID at the minute, we're still able to be on site with that one, uh, delivering that for that client. And we've got, we've got loads. We've um, recently finished Dag for House, another student site in Nottingham. But we've got sites, like I say, up and down the country, all over. Like I say, the, the majority of them are either student sites or they're PRS, so private rental sector apartment buildings. Uh, both of them are obviously, you know, booming industries at the minute. Yeah, big time. We see a lot of student accommodation up here. In, we're, we're based up in Liverpool in the world, and uh, we yeah. see a lot of we see a lot of that happening right now. So it's it's very popular right now for sure. Um, yeah, can you talk yeah. a little bit about the the forward funding model and how that works. Yeah, so it's, um, I, I think it's a really great model. Um, it allows developers to potentially deliver sites they couldn't otherwise because a forward fund basically means that you sec secure the client that you're delivering whatever the project's for. It's often used in affordable housing as well, but it's one of the main models in the student market. Essentially, we secure a client for that site day one. So in this scenario with um, York Place, it was Student Roost. They agree to pay you know, a total price for that development that's broken down to a land payment day one where they buy the land off of us, um, a construction payment, which gets paid in monthly drawdowns, you know, in line with QS reports, and then a final bullet payment at the end, which is, you know, a, the bulk of our profit, so to speak. Um, and basically, they pay us as the developer to deliver that scheme. And the good thing about it is it doesn't mean we have to raise any sort of senior debt or anything ourselves. Because as you can imagine, some of these schemes, you know, you're talking, you know, build contracts of 30, 35 million, let's say. And that's, you know, even if you're able to get 80% finance, that's still a lot of your own capital or mezzanine capital or something that you've got to bring into that deal to be able to deliver that site. So a forward fund sort of, not only is it, does it de-risk the operation because you've got the client already at the back end, but it actually enables a lot of schemes that wouldn't possibly happen without that model simply because you couldn't well you could but it'd be very difficult to raise the uh the debt required without some sort of commitment from the client day one yeah okay that makes sense and with regards to the developments then in your portfolio is it mostly build to sell or do you do any uh build to rent um so in terms of cassie group we don't operate anything ourselves um we are purely developers but the the prs stuff as i call it that is build to rent, but it's just the client buys it off of us, but those okay. whole blocks. So, you know, we did one uh, recently in Nottingham Saffron Court that we sold to Cording Capital. Um, that was 350 apartments and they obviously retain that whole block and, and rent that out, you know, each individual apartment onto the open market. But for them, it's, you know, one whole block investment. Do you get many clients that approach you for, for stuff like that and builds like that where they'd like to take over the whole block? Is that something that's been, been going on for a while or it's got more popular? Yeah, it's, um, it's been a market, you know, that's, that's been out there for a long time. It's a lot of your, your big um, pension funds, institutional investment funds, anything like that. You know, they still 
do like bricks and mortar investment. Um, the PRS model in the UK is starting to really pick up now. So obviously in the UK, there's a lot of emphasis on home ownership, um, which is great. But sort of in Europe, that's not so much the case. They don't have as much focus on home ownership as we do. And it's very common to rent a property for, for 30 years, um, you know, in, in places like Germany and whatnot. So we're starting to sort of move a little bit towards that model simply because of the housing crisis and housing prices going up. It's just people are getting older and older before they're able to buy. So having blocks of purpose-built rental accommodation um, it's becoming more and more popular and we're seeing more funds becoming more aggressive in that market, buying up, you know, more assets. And, and definitely it, it, it's, I, I can see the market continuing to grow as it has been for the last few years. Nice. Nice. And are those blocks, are they any different from normal sort of like residential flats? Is, um, I've heard the term like cluster houses and stuff thrown about before. Is there like special types of developments that people are looking more into because of that? Um, yeah. Yes and no. So normally the um, the sort of PRS units they're smaller in terms of their size versus um, you know open market properties because normally when people are renting, you know they don't you don't necessarily get more or you don't sort of pro rata get more for the size of the unit. Rents yeah. sort of tend to be capped at a certain value each month. So a PRS model you'll find that they're very uh, well designed so it's not to say like you know we design very efficiently so our two beds for example on average are 60 meters squared um, which isn't massive but they've been so well designed that there's no sort of dead space in them so you yeah. can go into an 80 meter square two bed and not feel any bigger as such just because okay. you've potentially got dead space so um, a, a lot of PRS units are a bit smaller but very well designed and Another thing is they're often two bed, two bath rather than two bedrooms, one bath. And that's because a lot of the PRS model is potentially um, around co-living. So, you know, you might have two, you know, lads out of uni renting a two bed apartment together, but they would have each have their own independent bathroom. So that's another thing about the sort of PRS market is it does cater more to co-living than, you know, normal apartments potentially would. Um, in terms of the sites then, so um, when you're sourcing sites, do you source it yourselves or do you use a land broker or what way do you go about doing that? So I'd say 90% of what we source is what I'd say is like off market. Um, so, you know, we just approach landowners directly, um, mm -hmm. negotiate with them and agree our sites on an option basis subject to planning. Um, we don't often use agents um, simply because we just, we can find much better deals direct to landowners ourselves they've got much better margins in and also you haven't got someone in the middle potentially you know muddying conversations it's always easier to to have those discussions direct with a landowner so you know you know what's being you know they understand what you're saying it's something doesn't get lost in translation if that makes sense yeah definitely definitely and um so how long would you agree an option for what would be the typical term of the option agreement when you sign up um so we do unless the landowner is, is particularly adverse to it, um, we always want 12 months because, you know, when you're talking a site of, let's say 400 student beds, you know, there's a lot that goes into that planning permission. It's not something you could submit in 
four weeks time after sign, mm -hmm. signing the option and we may want to do a pre-app as well as the the detailed application so normally what we want the 12-month option with the standard extension clauses so obviously if there's still an active planning permission that option continues until you know the outcome of that um but we always put in performance clauses as well into our options so it basically binds us as the developer to committing to do certain tasks within certain time frames um, because a lot of landowners, they, they get a situation where they enter into a 12 month option and the developer does nothing until month 11. And then obviously those, they don't submit the application until month 11, but then you've got the standard extension clauses, which means it becomes an 18 month option before you know it. Um, so we, we try to conclude matters within that 12 months as much as possible. Very good. And what would be sort of some of the typical issues that might come up when you're seeking planning permission? Um, it, it depends. It depends on the site, to be honest, and it does also massively depend on the authority you're dealing with, um, because unfortunately, with planning, there's no real objective measures in place to say, you know, what should or shouldn't get planning. Obviously, you've got the MPPF, but that's a guide, not a, you know, there's not. It's not sort of a tick box, yes or no. It, it's very much interpretation. Um, but I'd say the the biggest issue we find that Cassidy Group, if anything, is probably um, local resistance, okay. you know, whether or not that's the big sites that we do, or we also do smaller luxury residential schemes in sort of rural areas. And, you know, understandably, people tend to not want development near them. But the reality is, it's got to go somewhere. So you're always going to upset some landowner nearby. But yeah, we, we get quite a lot of headache off of um, you know sort of local residents to our schemes but but yeah. overall we find the planning process somewhat easy not easy is probably the wrong word but we're very experienced we know what should or shouldn't get planning so we're very rarely submitting something that shouldn't be supported yeah yeah what would be some of the typical things that you'd, you'd use as due diligence just before you submit your planning application just to kind of I suppose make sure that the application would be accepted um, so we always like to have a very good feel of the area. I think that's really important. So no matter what you're submitting, whether it's a small application or, or a big application, student or residential or whatever, it's very important to understand what's been approved and rejected locally. Um, and I like to bring in those as examples in our applications. You know, this was approved and here's the similarities between our application and that approved one. Or this one was rejected on the following grounds and here's the reasons why my application is different to that. So I think that's really important. And obviously understanding any planning history on the site itself is important. Um, but also, you know, I always like to, a lot of people tend to miss off really important reports. You know, it, it sounds silly, but and it does save costs, obviously not doing certain reports, but sometimes it just leaves you open to not necessarily a refusal, but uh, a delegated decision. So it just drags out the planning process. So we always like to have a complete planning application in full, absolute detail in every way um, before submitting it. Otherwise, you, you just end up dragging out the process. How long does it take to, to prepare that? I know you mentioned before, you try and get stuff done in 12 months. How long does it realistically take to prepare that? Um, well, so we normally like to do a pre-app first, particularly on our big sites or anything that's sort of a bit more contentious in nature. So depending how so obviously we have our initial plan that are between us and our architects we think is acceptable and that we like um and then if the feedback from the pre-app is 
you know, broadly speaking, what you've put forward is acceptable here are a few tweaks, then in theory, we can get a detailed application back into the council within eight weeks from feedback of the pre-app if it's not massive changes. But naturally, if the pre-app comes back and they're wanting something completely different again, um, then it could take, you know, longer. It could take, you know, maybe 12 weeks to get it all together. Um, the only time it maybe takes longer is if you've got some sort of niche reports like, you know, air quality or certain transport surveys, if the data isn't already available, you have to do the testing. And that in itself can sometimes take, you know, six weeks of testing before you can then do a report. So unless you start that very early, that can sometimes delay the, the submitting of an application. Okay. And them smaller residential schemes that you mentioned in like rural areas, mm -hmm. is that like a strategy that you're going to focus on more? Um, no. So um, the small sites we do, that all. so our main office that we, for the most part, work on is in the Midlands, just near Birmingham Airport. Um, sort of out in a, a little village near there. Um, so all of our small sites are pretty much within a 10 minute drive of our office, um, okay. probably from sheer laziness. And we, we have a, a small gang of guys that have been, you know, family friends for 30 years at this point. They, you know, yeah. when my dad began bricklaying, I won't say how many years ago he'll tan me off, but <laughs> they worked with him then. So we do the small sites. They cover the office overheads every year, which is great. Um, so we know we haven't got to worry about them before we even start, but they also keep um, those guys busy and going. So we yeah. only really do one a year of the small sites and it's just to, to tick over. It's not, a, it's, it's more passion than anything. Cause yeah. I know we, we find it enjoyable to do the smaller stuff and really get into the design and, you know, try and do some, some really outstanding properties. That's really interesting. Really good. Really good to hear. So um, the, the million dollar question, how does coronavirus affect your business or what way do you kind of crystal ball that thing happening in the future, how it's going to affect the property? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a question we've had a lot recently. So we've been um, quite lucky in the sense that um, our small sites, because we don't have a massive workforce working on them, that they're a bit slower in production, um, we've been able to spread the site they're working on the minute, we have five guys and five houses. So they're literally right. their own house each to work in. So right. we've been I'm able just... to maintain social distancing as well as obviously they're self-employed guys. So it's, as you can imagine, a very stressful time for them. So it's been great that we've been able to keep that site going and ticking over for them. So that one's not been affected. Where it has been affected is definitely the supply chain. Yeah. So obviously when lockdown came in, it was a little bit sort of wishy-washy as to what companies could and couldn't stay open. Um, so we we obviously we've been keeping going because we've been able to but some companies just shut down straight away including a lot within the supply chain a lot of our local builders merchants shut down or reduced service so obviously trying to get materials has been a slight issue we've, we've been okay but i think other people have have struggled um our big sites we're probably um when all that they're working at reduced capacity at the minute because obviously they've got so many more people working on them they've had to to sort of go down to skeleton crews to keep the site ticking over and maintain social distancing so when all this is over we're probably going to have to put overtime in to to still deliver them projects on time and to be honest there's potential risk is risk that some of them could not meet that time frame and obviously when you've got a design and build contract with a client a key thing is delivered on a certain time so 
we're, we're going to be having to, you know, really drive those sites hard once we get out of that to, to catch back up onto program. And hopefully we can, if, you know, things start to ease up in the next few weeks, but, um, we'll have to see. And in terms of sort of future proofing against anything like this shocks in the market of any sort, you know, assortment, whether or not it be recessions, COVIDs, who knows what, um, the way we've weathered through the years is it's buying those sites off market. So our margins are, are bigger, you know, on at least quite a lot of our deals. So even if um, bill costs go up a bit or it takes a bit longer to deliver than we first thought or the end values aren't as much as we hoped, because there's that bigger margin, it's, it doesn't break the deal. Um, it takes a little bit longer to find these deals, but when you've got them, it's just a lot more relaxing to do them because you're not thinking, oh, if this goes a thousand pound over budget or 10,000 pound here, it ruins the whole deal. You know, it's not as stressful yeah. in that sense. So that's, that's normally how we have got through. Okay, sounds great. We had a, we had a little look on, on the website earlier on as well. We noticed there was a page of partners as well. There's a, a lot of partners on there. Is that, yeah. are they just sort of like business associates and companies that you've worked with and, and sort of relationships you've built over the years? Yeah, mainly. Um, so I think the ones we've got listed on there are contractors we use a lot, as well as our core professional team. Um, yeah. So with all of our um, sort of main portfolio of bigger PRS and student sites, we use the same team of professionals on every single site and they all know each other. They all communicate directly with each other. So, you know, they're all on framework pricing and so they are probably, they, we work closer with them than if you were to just use an architect one time, if that makes sense. You know, we yeah. use Mabers, um, the team out of Nottingham headed up by Nick there and they're fantastic. And, you know, we've got that ongoing relationship with them. You know, I talk to them every day. Um, we've almost got like dedicated people within those companies that just deal with Cassidy projects. So, nice. um, yeah, we couldn't do what we do without the, the core team of professionals around us, to be honest. Okay. Okay. Great. And have they been built over the years? Were they um, sort of like contacts of, of your dad and your uncle from years ago, or are they relationships that you've built as Castillo groups got bigger? Um, they've, th these ones have been um, that we've built since Castillo Group got bigger. So it's only in the last sort of three years that we've really scaled up, um, sort of acquiring these bigger sites. Before we tended to just do one at a time, whereas yeah by acquiring this team it's allowed us to scale up because obviously you know we're having to be less hands-on with the team because they can just communicate directly with each other and things like that versus yeah. having to constantly pass on the messages in between people so yeah it's probably only been in the last like two three years that we've built this sort of really amazing team and obviously there was trial and error with other professionals not to necessarily say anyone was awful it's just finding that team that not only work well with us and understand us but can work well with each other as well yeah yeah okay that's great and what what is um your dad and your uncle's sort of experience and you mentioned brick or we read on the website developments and property as well mm -hmm. could you tell us a bit more detail about about their background yeah so um they're both i'll say mid 50s um don't know their exact ages and they left school at you know 14 or 16 or something and um, my dad James became a bricklayer he did a bricklaying apprenticeship and my uncle Patrick became a carpenter and first of all they became contractors in the UK so Cassidy Construction was 
you know, the contracting arm of the business and they, they built most of the Safeway stores that Safeway isn't around anymore, but a lot of the other superstores have now gone into those buildings that Cassidy uh, Construction would have built, you know, back in the day. They did a lot of railway homes and, and all sorts of projects up and down the country. And then um, I think when my dad was about 21, 22, he sort of did his first development in the sense that, you know, rather than being just the contractor, he got the, he, he did the deal. It was, I think it was with a housing association for an affordable site um, and obviously just became the contractor and the developer did a few sites like that. And then slowly over time, just moved more into development and obviously being office based rather than, you know, as contractee and being on site. And then, yeah, it's just sort of grew to what it is today where, you know, basically dad's, not on site that often um mainly sort of in the office just sort of agreeing the deals and obviously we now employ contractors ourselves like you know uh, Winvic, Gallifer Tri, whoever um to actually deliver some of the bigger projects for us. Nice okay that's really good background it's nice to hear where they started from and how they've sort of progressed over the years it's um really really good to hear them types of stories. Yeah yeah they've had the um I mean they've literally I think Cassidy as developments began in you know 95 I believe um but yeah the, the whole life has been construction or development in some shape or form yeah that's really really good just shows that experience over the years comes in handy doesn't it like they've, oh, they've built built Cassidy yeah. from from all those years in construction yeah 100% I think that's what you know um sort of sets us apart from some other developers is we have got that fundamental knowledge at such such detail that many yeah. other sort of large construction companies um or developers i should say don't necessarily have um whereas you know like i say dad and patrick could could build probably anything just between the two of them with their skill level um yeah. so that really comes in handy obviously when when you're trying to assign tenders and things like that because because you understand it on a whole nother level that maybe some other people might not have that same understanding. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely understand. And did they offer any sort of training or any courses or did they do any sort of mentoring? Did they do anything like that? Yeah. So, um, about a year ago we began, um, sort of building what is, what is a training program and it actually only launched soft launch, um, about six weeks ago. Okay. So it's, um, it, it's an online program. And the reason we did online versus in person was two things. A, we're full-time developers, you know, we're not trainers by trade and we're still yeah. going to be developers by trade. So we don't have the time to do, you know, in-person events every week or weekend or something, but online as well, because you know, what we've produced is like 40 hours worth of content on, you know, going into really nitty gritty detail about things that if you were doing that in person, you just wouldn't retain it. So it's an online training program and the idea of it is to sort of condense our knowledge, our practices, what works for us, um, to take someone who knows nothing about, you know, property development at all, with no experience, all the way through to being able to find sites, acquire sites. And, and we teach a few different exit strategies and, you know, some of them are constructing a site if that was what, what they chose to do um and you know at the minute it, it's going really well we've got some students that have got some really good early success potentially optioning up 
um, some sites with really good margins in. So it's really good nice. because, you know, uh, James and Patrick, they do love passing on their knowledge, but it's hard for them to do because they don't have the time. So we sort of sat and made this program, um, which is, you know, which passes it on, although not in person, it still passes it on sort of nonetheless. Yeah. And does that teach people um, sort of the basics on, on sourcing land, I assume, as well, and the whole sort of the, the idea of an option and how to work and how to arrange it? Yeah, yeah, it literally goes through everything. So, you know, the principles be behind what makes a site a site, how to find the site, all the different softwares we might use, how to use those softwares. Um, it teaches about how you would design a site once you've found a potential parcel of land so you know what could fit on it. The appraisal process talks all about costings and how you would cost something up in order to, to create a land value, know what that site's worth. Talks about deal structures in terms of options, assignable options, back-to-back -back contracts, everything. Talks about the, the, obviously the construction process. Does a lot on finance as well, which is important because a lot of people don't know how to finance deals and your yeah. options when it comes to finance. So it has, the goal of it was to be the most comprehensive form of, you know, property development training that's that's available. And in my opinion, it's the only fully comprehensive um, property development training program out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I think the, the background that, that James and Patrick have got and then yourself pushing them all, the, you know, mm -hmm. the marketing, the social media, it's a, it's a great um it's a great connection you've got there and definitely obviously some of the training providers out there, some of the information may be sometimes quite skeptical on how detailed it is and how correct it is. But coming from yourselves, I think people will be so confident going into that yeah. training. Definitely. Yeah. And I think a key thing with, with the training that we've um, looked at is there are other strategies that I've heard other developers use, but I don't teach them. You know, we, we only have, we've only put into this course what we do and what we believe in. So yeah. we haven't, added content on other potential strategies because if I don't believe in them and I wouldn't recommend them, I've not taught them because of that exact reason, you know, this, this course has been born out of experience. I sort of like to say, you know, yeah. we've made a lot of mistakes in our 30 years. Obviously, you know, we're doing well, but don't get me wrong. We've made some big mistakes in the past as well. And the idea is, you know, to, to sort of teach people how we do it, what we do, what works for us. And, you know, I like to think that we're, we're doing something right because we're, we're a small family round team of five that has an output yeah. bigger than some of the PLCs. So we must be onto yeah. something pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you've got a good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where can people reach out to get in contact with you? So um, obviously on there's, there's social media, um, Facebook and YouTube, and you can get all the links there to the website and it's learnpropertydevelopment.co.uk. And on there, you can register for a free webinar. And in that webinar, it's about an hour long, but it introduces you to Cassidy Group, what we do, our projects. We outline what we think are the three key stages within property development. And then obviously there's an option there where you can book a team book a call with one of my team to obviously discuss, you know, the, the, the options moving forward. Excellent. Okay. That sounds brilliant. Great. Yeah. Nice. All right. I think we'll uh, wind it up there. Thanks very much, Rosie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, get in, we'll get in contact again sometime. Perfect. Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Yeah. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye. We talk about property, business and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin-Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.